How can you design a broker-dealer technology environment that is both client and advisor-centric? When is the right time for an iterative approach, and when should you just bet the house? What are some best practices for evaluating, integrating, and implementing technology solutions at a broker-dealer? All these questions and a whole lot more will be answered on this episode of Wealth Management Today. This episode of Wealth Management Today is brought to you by Ezra Group Consulting. Broker-dealers are under tremendous pressure to retain and attract new advisors, and their technology ecosystem is a key part. Ezra Group Consulting is your go-to source for building the next generation of advisor and client experiences that will supercharge your firm's growth, increase user satisfaction, and reduce operating costs. If you're a broker-dealer and you want to leapfrog your competition, Contact Ezra Group today for a free one-hour consultation and 10% off your first strategic planning project. Go to ezragroup.co, that's E-Z-R-A-G-R-O-U-P.co for more information. And here we are again, and welcome to everyone out there in the wonderful world of wealth tech. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, and I am a strategy and technology consultant. And my goal here is to share the latest ideas, trends, and innovations that I'm seeing in the industry. This is the seventh episode of the Wealth Management Today podcast, and on today's show, we'll be bringing you some actionable intelligence and best practices around broker-dealer technology stacks. We dive right into the details of how the technology infrastructure at successful broker-dealers is built, some of the challenges that have to be overcome, and even a few mistakes that were made and what was learned from them. I know you're going to enjoy this episode, so let's get started. Welcome to the Wealth Management Today podcast. I'm really pumped today to have two industry leaders from United Planners on the podcast. The first is Aaron Spradlin, the Chief Information Officer for United Planners. Hello. Great to be with you today. Hey, Aaron. Good to see you. Oh, good to hear you. And we also yeah. have Billy, Billy Oliverio, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for United Planners. Good morning. Good morning. It's bright and early. Much earlier for you guys out on the West Coast. Yep, all good, though. We're ready to rock and roll. I'm so uh, glad you guys could make it. Uh, I'm really excited for our conversation. So you know, we, we did some pregame, and we did some, I did some pre-interviews and some discussions. And you know, what we're focusing on here is some best practices and how we would, if we were having a roundtable discussion of chief information officers, chief marketing officers for broker-dealers, what will we be talking about? What will we be sharing? So... Um, I'm looking for a lot of good information and a lot of good things we can share uh, with the rest of the industry. Uh, and we've discussed this beforehand. So one of the big things I want to talk about was United Planners technology infrastructure. Um, I've heard a lot about it. We've talked about it. And I know you've got a lot of great things going on. So if you can tell me a little bit about that overview and that structure and how you guys put that together. Sure. Uh, and that's a, that's a great question. You know, we've been at this now for, about 10 years uh, when I joined the firm. And, you know, when we first started uh, really building out the infrastructure, uh, one of the first things we asked ourselves was, what is the industry going to look like? And there's really two, I'd say, major uh, time periods in which United Planners engaged in really rethinking our platform about 10 years ago and then about, I think, five years ago with Orion. And I'll, we'll go through each one of those and each one of more different decisions. The first one was really about a client-centric world. We at the time, saw everything in the industry being account-centric. Uh, I had come from Charles Schwab in the day, back a long time ago, and as far as uh, my experience there, as well as um, my experience at AIG, I, I just saw such an account-centric uh, platforms, and I, we realized that the future of the industry was going to need to be client-centric. Now, what drove that also was the innovation that was happening inside of financial services today. I think they call it fintech, but financial services technology, CRMs, and wealth management platforms uh, back in the day were also very client-centric. They thought of everything from a client perspective. So empowering our advisors' practices really required that we rethink um, that platform. And then beyond that, we were thinking about becoming more of an advisor-centric firm. Um, advisor, uh, you know, how would you with that, Billy? Um, advisor-centric uh, would be a word. 
Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, I would say, yes, advisor-centric, but to your point, you know, where we saw the industry going, um, that's really where our industry was. Right. And we just decided uh, that that's how we should, you know, redesign our system so our advisors can have a better experience in managing their client relationships. And so with that said, when our system, as Bradlin, you know, redesigned it from account centric to client centric, it was re really revolutionary. It, it was so obvious and basic, but it's such a heavy lift from a technology well, recoding, redeveloping, but you know, Spradlin took that project on and redeveloped and retooled our system to be a, a client-centric system, and that really became, you know, an, an easier and more intuitive process for our advisors when they work with our home office system and how they establish their business. Right? It's okay. not new account form, new account form, new account form, new account form. It became more of a, I have a client. And this is my client and they establish a client record and then from there they then start to associate the different types of registrations um, and then the different types of accounts that link and connect to those registrations and so you know when we explain this to advisors they were just like the aha moment it was like thank God someone actually you know redesigned a system to you know better apply to our current world and environment to be client centric and so um, that was really a game changer for us in our system and improving our advisors uh, you know I would say fintech environment if you will to give them that kind of flexibility um, in how this our system United Planner system then connected better with all the other fintech systems in our ecosystem. So I want to dive a little deeper into that for you, Craig. So hold, hold on one second, can I interject? Yeah. But what yeah, we probably should do before we go on is explain a little bit about how United Planners is different from other broker dealers. Because you're majority owned by your advisors. Can you explain how that works? Yeah, sure. So this is really becoming a I would say an even more hot topic in this day and age with our marketplace. So, and what I mean by that is with all the broker-dealer RIA, uh, broker-dealer registered investment advisor consolidations going on in our marketplace. So, so United Planners is very unique in that, uh, yes, we are an independent broker-dealer uh, and registered investment advisor, um, but the very unique factor that we have in this industry is that our firm is designed as a limited partnership that is privately owned as well as advisor owned. And so as I defi better define that and articulate what that means, um, the firm is majority owned by our advisors that qualify to be limited partners. And that component of our firm compri is comprised of 55%. So 55% of our firm is owned by our advisors that qualify to be limited partners. And the 45% is owned by uh, the general partnership, which is owned by three gentlemen, um, Tom Oliver, uh, Dave Shindell, and Mike Baker. And this was designed so that it does not get taken over, bought and sold uh, in a manner that the advisors were not aware, informed, and had a right uh, to say yes or no. Um, and this plays into, you know, one of our taglines, which is we are adamantly not for sale in this day and age, given all of the uh, consolidations going on in the marketplace. And so, you know, that I'll, I'll kind of pause there. Uh, that's what makes United Planners unique um, is the advisor owned uh, component and majority owned and that's very important because there are other firms that have tried to copy and mimic this limited partnership structure but they're nowhere near 55 percent majority owned by the advisors and, and and just to kind of one more comment to take that a step further that means at the end of the day when the chips settle 55 percent of our profits get shared back to those advisors and it's a nice additional added benefit to those advisors this additional compensation factor in addition to their ability to have a, a, a true voting 
write and and say and 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 what happens to the destiny of this firm. So that's what makes United Planners unique, and that's very important to know. And thanks for asking. You're welcome. I thought it was something interesting to, to discuss. So going back to the overview of your technology infrastructure, can you go through the specific systems? What makes up the core of your, of your infrastructure and, and how is it connected to other, other systems? Yeah, sure. So uh, there are, we have a platform that we refer to as ConnectUp, so ConnectUP. Uh, so ConnectUp is really about three fundamental systems. So uh, we, are, we are designed very open architecture from the beginning. So we built pieces. Each piece is an actually its own system. Each system operates independently and stands alone, but they're all highly integrated. So when our advisors come into the, what we have is a, um, a portal, they log into this portal. Uh, that portal is really made up of three core systems and then integrations with vendors. And I'll go through each one of those systems. First one we call, what I just, we call the portal, UP portal. And that really is uh, a, um, that is the fundamental security. It's the fundamental, uh, it's the, the piece that holds all of the uh, all of the advisors' um, uh, logins, where they do the business. Uh, it's a, we call it an identity provider. It's really what it is, is it lets us know who our advisors are, uh, what systems they use, uh, what integrations they want, and is essentially the underlying, uh, the underlying way in which we're able to create all of the efficiencies and act um, in a way that is uh, you know, transparent to our advisors in how we integrate their various platforms and do so with a, a security first uh, mindset. That technology was um, uh, was core to then us then saying, okay, now that we kind of have a way of securely letting our advisors in and, and knowing what tools they have and giving them, uh, you know, SSO or Deep Dive 1.0, which is essentially nothing more than a, a simple link. Now what do we want to do next? Well, what's the next problem we need to solve? Well, the next problem we need to solve, we mentioned was client-centric. We refer to that internally as SOAR, or source of accurate record. We built a second system, which is essentially um, a system that was built on, uh, for people on the phone, it's just a highly normalized database that we built, uh, a data warehouse that we built of all the information that we have in our firm. Then we did is we built, uh, I'm going to try to be as, um, not be too technical, but we built something called a business uh, a business class or a business layer, and then that was able to then set all the rules uh, that on how our system should work, and of course then we expose that through user interface. Now that business class, that source of accurate record, became critical to the way that United Planners was able to innovate, because what we did is we we really there's a long time out there people were talking about this concept um, of silver bullet which is essentially this idea of creating a standard model for data. And that's what United Planners did 10 years ago, is we, we, we stood up and we said, what is client-centric? Client-centric is really about um, uh, entities, uh, entities coming together for the purposes of registrations, and those registrations having associated accounts that are held at various firms. Let's create a structure for that. And then let's create a structure for how we know and integrate that information and then set rules around that. So for example, uh, you have a, a, reg a registration, we say, okay, we'll grab this person and grab this person and, or grab this person and grab this entity and link them together within the system and then say, what is their role with that registration? And based on knowing how people are related to each other through registrations, we're able to identify how people are associated with our firm. Are they really clients of the firm? Are they truly clients of the firm? Or are they just associated to a client of, a client of the firm? Are they a trustee? Well, or are they really somebody that actually is a client owner? Which helps drive a lot of the innovations firms need to do, such as how you do householding or how you solve what information you can share with somebody or not information you can't share with them. It really is fundamentally defined by the relationship that that person has with you. And that relationship even becomes more important when you start talking about the fact that some advisors don't even open accounts with clients. And so a system needs to be able to handle how an advisor handles their practice. And back to client-centric and SOAR, at the most fundamental level, somebody could have a single client agreement with us. That single client agreement could uh, allow them to just establish some type of a, an advice relationship with that person, and that's, that's as far as that relationship goes. Our system doesn't need an account to establish that relationship. Historically, most firms had to create accounts or create concepts or create processes or create paperwork 
to somehow to create the concept of something. Well, in our case, we're like, no, there's a piece of paper, there's a person, there's a relationship, you are now associated with us. And then if they want to establish an account and a registration, that's great, that was a separate process. So we put all that together, and now that we had the source of accurate record, and then now we had this identity provider, the next step we took was to say, okay, let's integrate all that. And so we started to do is look at where our advisors doing business, and at that time it was really primarily at Redtail. Um, uh, it was at Allbridge and um, a couple other firms, and we looked at their open APIs, and we said, well, what if we were to start just, we know where they do business, we know uh, how they want their data to flow, so let's start solving problems for them. Let's, think, let's go ahead and solve the problem of write once and use many. So we're, we went ahead and we did integrations with Redtail a long, long time ago uh, with their API that they had and said, okay, well, if you have a client in Redtail, you can send it to AFO, or if you have a client in AFO, you can send it back to Redtail, and let's just go do that. And, well, wow, they've got an amazing platform where it stores all the advisor's um, documents. Let's start looking at how we can automate that for them. And then, well, we've got all these statements that are being produced out at um, out at uh, Allbridge. Can we go ahead and maybe generate those statements from inside of our system and then go ahead and automatically profile them and put the data to them and then put them inside of the Redtail uh, platform. So how can we start to create orchestration? So then we started getting into the orchestration game. Go ahead. I'll stop there. Yeah. Can I just, and then I'll let it talk. That, that was a lot. Uh, that, that was that was very. I was I was taking taking notes frantically. A lot a lot of information. A couple of quick questions. So this sounds like it was more of an iterative approach. Would that be correct, or was it a giant plan that you just worked across many years? I, we use the word organic, but you're right. Uh, it was very much organic. It was very responsive to what was the need. Uh, technical term would be minimal viable product. So we were very much looking at MVP or minimal viable product, seeing if it worked, getting a response from the advisors, and then building on top of it. So we would uh, um, we were doing a lot of skunk work, you know, all those tag terms that they're out there, minimal viable product, and going, wow, this works, and then let's invest in it. So the and I think to your and I think to your point, Craig, I, yeah, I, I think I do think that iterative kind of term does make sense as well. And I think it ties to what you're saying, Aaron, is, you know, one thing led to another and it was just natural for us to take that next step because it made sense. Right. That's my kind of layman's kind of term approach to it. Right. It just it just made sense based on what we know mm -hmm. is going on in the industry, in our advisor's office and what made sense for them to be efficient in their workflows and how their you know, technology should interact with one another. So a couple of things you mentioned, Aaron, I was while I was taking notes, uh, the silver bullet. So I, I know about that, and that was a that was a, a, a industry trade organization kind of protocol thing that didn't didn't take off. But what what did you pull from that, and and how did that help you in your in your integration processes, your in the way you thought about integration? Well, what I pulled from it was the the idea of what they were trying to do, but uh, I didn't but. So I, I knew what they were trying to accomplish, but I, when, I, when I looked at it, I didn't think the data model and where they were at was the biggest struggle they were having with it. And that, of course, came late to the game, so I wasn't there for the whole part of it. But I really said, okay, yeah, this is needed, uh, but we need to have a model that's more IA or client-centric. And so I was like, rather than trying to solve everything as far as down to accounts and how accounts are held and some of the problems they were looking at, I was trying to focus more on how are we going to create a data model that I can then share with my vendors and my, my vendors then start adopting that model, create a Rosetta Stone so that I can convert their client to my client and then convert that client over. And by doing that, could I ground up, present people with an alternative or a model in which they could start to say, wow, this model works, maybe we should adopt it. So rather than coming top down and saying, well, everybody should adopt this, we again, we're trying to iteratively build a model that we thought solved the problem that they were trying to solve there, that eventually, if it did it well enough, maybe could become a standard. And so we've always shared our data model with everybody. People have called us up. Many broker dealers and firms have called us and we shared with them the model. Vendors, we've shared the model and some people have taken some of it and some people haven't, but we've been very, uh, it is very open sourced. Right. And I, I think along those lines, I'd just like to add, 
you know, that's, and, and that's how open we are with our, you know, whether it be competitors or colleagues in the industry, we are very open to share this information with the industry, but it's very hard for firms to actually act upon that because the very core fundamental first step someone needs to make is we're going to have to redevelop and retool our system to be, you know, whether it's client centric versus account centric or however they've designed their system. I mean, you know, we've put in, we, I can't say technically we, I really am, am, am focusing or emphasizing the work that Spradlin and his team and his engineers and his developers had devoted to this recoding, retooling. Um, but that, but that's key. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's redeveloping the foundation and chassis so that you can build iteratively on, on these different components we're talking about. So it's all about the advisor centric and, and giving them a tool that works with how their environment works. So Craig, I don't want to, I want to do answer your question here, which is when we decided, we said we need a data warehouse. That's what we know we need. So I'm going to build everything on the concept of a data warehouse. I know I need three components. I need storage of information, like a, um, like a, something called imaging platform, but we just call it object storage, which is what AWS is. So like object storage, so we can store our data. We need a, uh, we need a, a source of accurate record, a place, a, a system for back office purposes, and we need an identity provider. So we know all the different systems. So we had basically four core things that we knew, we knew we needed, and then we iteratively built on top of that. So unless you have the right architecture to start with, this is almost impossible to do. And then the last thing that we did is we said, we're not gonna try to build the system that, um, we're not gonna try to be the center of the advisor's universe, we're going to integrate with the advisor's universe. So why rebuild a CRM? I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna integrate with a CRM. Why build a, you know, a planning software? I'm just gonna integrate the planning software. So we were able to we were able to to speed our development and our delivery of solutions to our advisors by not trying to be the center of the universe, where a lot of broker dealers were spending a lot of money at that time. This is 10 years ago, on building a one-size-fits-all system, being right. the you know, and that's not where we went. We said, you know what? There's too much innovation in fintech. We have to do what we do, good and then we're going to integrate and we're going to bring value to the advisor. One of the things we said to ourselves was, what if we weren't regulatory required? Would they still be with us? And that was that question of, are we going to be meaningful in that relationship with our advisors? Are we going to deliver something that, that would want them to stay with us no matter what? Because we saw FinTech really solving problems for advisors in ways that other platforms were not, and we wanted to make those platforms better. Um, so that's, that's one of the, so you don't, you can go use Redtail, but I'm, 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 Redtail through United Planners is a much more amazing experience than just Redtail alone. So that, that leads me to my next question. So are, is your platform more of a supermarket where the advisors can pick different tools? Hey, I want to use Redtail. Well, I don't want to use Redtail. I, I want to use Juncture. I want to use Salesforce. Or is it, here's our package. This is what we recommend. Use these tools. If you use something else, you're not going to get as good an experience because it's not integrated. Sure. Yeah. One thing to start with is our philosophy on the business model, which is open architecture. And so, yes, we do permit our advisors to use different financial planning uh, fintech providers, um, MoneyGuide Pro or eMoney, um, CRMs like you're mentioning, Redtail or Juncture. Um, some systems integrate better than others just based on, you know, our advisor adoption and the demand to integrate deeper. Um, another example of, I would say, a nice integration that we've done over the years um, is with Orion, which stems back going on about probably seven, eight years now. But, you know, we have, with our open architecture environment, you know, we have, we have advisors, you know, and just kind of for the, for the, for the context of the conversation, you know, we have about 450 advisors across the country uh, doing business in all sorts of different ways. Um, and when we talk about this open architecture, we're doing business with all the REA custodians, um, TD Ameritrade, Schwab Advisor Services, Fidelity, 
E-Trade Advisor Services, um, Pershing LLC, which is our clearing firm. Um, but we are very open architecture, and so we had this business everywhere. And to the spirit of this discussion, we were looking for a fintech partner uh, where it would help us manage our business better for these advisors that had their business all over the marketplace. And so with Orion, we chose them. They fit the bill best. And we did a lot of integrations with Orion where there was a lot of checks and balances as it relates to the, the, the regulatory requirement, the data that we needed um, to go into their platform as well as our platform. And so, you know, not to get too much in the weeds, but we did a lot of deep integrations with Orion to make the advisor's experience in using Orion better and more efficient as well as regulatorily compliant for our oversight teams. And so, you know, we did a lot of designing in our system to have special Orion tags and features to make sure we had the required information on file, the required documents on file. Um, so that's kind of a good example of this deep integration. And then, um, you know, one thing I'll, I'll kind of close that comment with is uh, this, something that Aaron mentioned was, uh, and I'll just kind of put it in this category in, in layman's terms of this paperless office. So helping our advisors, you know, really support them in becoming a paperless office. So our system, the way we've designed it, is that all of those regulatory documents that we ask them to maintain is really built into our system, such as correspondence, various logs like trade blotters or securities and checks logs, complaint logs, um, advertising. I mean, that's another real robust tool that we built for the communications with the public and advertising as our advisors submit material to us and, and, and it goes through this review and approval process. So all that was built into this system and we did it in a uniform fashion so that it's all in our system. We don't have advisors doing it in all different ways to help our, you know, compliance efforts. And then this kind of spins back to what, you know, Aaron mentioned about, you know, grabbing docs from Allbridge, you know, grabbing docs from our custodians. And we do that, you know, e-document suite right. where we repackage that and put it into our system and then share it back to, again, going back to the Redtail experience that they're using Redtail Imaging. We share it all back to them. So if the advisor chooses to work mostly out of their Redtail ecosystem, all their electronic documents are there, even though they entered it once and they're using it many. So yeah. that's kind of how this all iteratively kind of comes together in this, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I guess technology yeah. ecosystem playground sandbox. So Craig, I don't know why that is AWS. So we yeah. can talk about that next. Hold on a second. I'm just making AWS. Okay. So I'm going to go yeah. back a second. One thing we didn't talk about was account opening. What's your platform for account opening? Um, is it completely, you know, you said it's you talk about paperless. What's underneath that account opening process and how does that work? So this is always, you know, I'll, Bill, you can help me out here because, because we're open architecture and accounts are typically just open where the advisors do business and we receive the accounts uh, through our data feeds. So it really depends on how the advisor is doing business. But in today's world, we have done and have been part of a DocuSign integration that we did a long time ago in which we made it so that wherever the advisor opens their account, again, this is within our DNA of our company, very organic. Our philosophy was we're not going to go buy an account opening system. Instead, we're going to invest in the future, which is we think advisors are going to want to open accounts through many uh, client um, uh, innovation tools that are coming to the market that as well as the tools that the custodians were building and we realized that all that was going to be done digitally and uh, most of the time it was being done through DocuSign starting with TD Ameritrade. So we just said let's just integrate highly with the DocuSign platform so that no matter what happens as long as we're copied on that digital signing we can go ahead and get a copy of the account opening paperwork and our paperwork and then automatically uh, you know, process that. So that's something that we did and we invested in so that if they open the paperwork, they do it electronically through TDA or any other platforms out there, that we can electronically receive that paperwork, process that paperwork, put it into our AFO system and drop it into the Redtail platform for them. So we don't actually open accounts here, except in the case of our Pershing brokerage operations, which 
that can be done through our AFO system. So that, that AFO system does have an account opening process. You go in, open registration, you know, the traditional way, but that's, that's not the primary way our advisors are interacting with us today. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Billy. And I was just going to say AFO for the people out there. Advisor front office. Advisor front office. Don't want to yeah. throw out too many acronyms that people are like, what is that AF? What does the acronym mean? Yeah. So that, that's our proprietary advisor workstation, that's advisor right. front office that we're talking about. Um, so, you know, I'll, if I can, Aaron, I'll kind of jump in on that a little bit. Yep. So opening new accounts or opening accounts, um, e-signatures, uh, me and Spryland have worked very closely on this over the course of time. And, and you're right, this is a very important uh, topic component. And um, as Aaron was saying, it, uh, you know, it, it gets complicated. And so my summary to this is, is this, because I've been having these discussions quite a bit lately, is we've been advocates in supporting electronic signatures for five years. And today we have 10 different e-signature workflows is the way I would describe it. And again, going back to what Aaron had mentioned and what we're saying in, in the kind of, I think the theme of this conversation is we're building our system around how the advisors work. And so when I mentioned this open architecture, you know, term, which I think is kind of very ambiguous, right? Well, what does that mean? So if you look at like our AUM, 90% uh, of our business is done in the open architecture, which we define for the spirit of this conversation is, it's a way from Pershing LLC, our clearing firm relationship. And that's another unique differentiator for United Planners is, you know, most of our assets are done away from our clearing firm. That's very unusual, but we've made that business decision to support that because that's where the ball is or where the puck is going, if you will. Um, and our advisors, uh, just as an industry trend, is you know moving more towards fee-based, and that's what you see in our actual DNA of our revenue. 60% of our revenue is RIA fee-based oriented. And if we go back, let's just use this 10 years marker. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, uh, our revenue was about 25, 30% uh, fee-based, and, and now we're at 60. So, you know, this, this evolution in our industry, we've been tracking along from an industry standpoint, which is good. It means we have our you know, kind of eye on the ball. We're moving along with our peers in the industry, and that's where the advisors are going. But kind of getting back to the e-signature discussion, um, again, five years we've been dealing with e-signatures and supporting it. Um, we have 10 different e-signature workflows. And, and so the question is, why do we have so many different e-signature workflows? Well, to Aaron's point, our advisors do business with several different service providers, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, um, our money managers, like um, you know, FTJ Fund Choices is one of our larger ones that has a full consolidated e-signature experience, um, CLS, and the list goes on. I don't mean to just call yeah. those out. There's more to it, but uh, we have lots of different service providers that have lots of different e-signature workflows because they all want to control that new account opening experience, and everybody's trying to do it a different way because the technology evolves and yes. it just keeps getting better. And then my last comment I'll close out on is we try to make that experience best by including all documents in the same envelope so that it's a single signing experience for the advisor and the client. And then as Aaron mentioned, our technology in the back end grabs it all and then gets it into our system uh, so it's more efficient for the advisors. Electronic process. It, and it, Craig, this is about looking to the future. I see people use the word robo many years ago, now it's digital advice, but the United Planner saw the digital advice platforms as truly innovative, and we wanted to be very supportive of that trend in the market, which is why that trend really is about who's engaging the client in the best experience possible. And one of those experiences is the account opening experience. And so rather than trying to invest in that ourselves or thinking that we need to be the center of that, we realized that we were going to let that market play out, and we wanted to support wherever whoever was going to win. Schwab spent a lot of money on some really innovative account opening experience. Uh, other vendors are out there trying to do it that we partnered with that have got amazing account opening or client engagement experiences. 
So our, our perspective is what are we here for and how do we bring value to those relationships? And that's where we invest our dollars and that's how we're able to keep our uh, spend and our purpose uh, very, very clearly defined and not trying to get uh, out there and compete against the market. So let's go back a second. That, that, that's all really useful. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. How long have you guys individually been at United Planners? So I came here when they became independent. So that was what, 12, 11 years ago? Yeah. Well, probably 12, 13. Yeah. So, I think it was seven. so one of the things was, uh, so yeah, I came when they were, uh, when they left Pack Life and became an independent firm and owned uh, by their current partners. I uh, was basically about the day after the day of that independence, I joined the firm. And then you joined about four years ago. Yeah, 2010. Uh, so I've been here nine years. Nine years. So about four years after I think Billy joined. Great. So what have you guys seen? Talking about integration, I want to go back to APIs and, and fitting all these systems together in your ecosystem. How have you seen the, the ability of APIs to provide a more and more robust experience for you? Has that changed since you've been here? So, so today, there's something that's being turned in the industry or in the world called the API economy. Uh, the API economy 13 years ago uh, there was a few vendors that had APIs, and I would I would say for me uh, the most the first one I really saw out there in the market doing this was uh, Redtail, really driven an API first platform. Then we saw um, um, Allbridge move that direction, and that was pretty cool. Uh, and then more and more vendors started building you know their platforms with APIs. I think the main difference today is that we're seeing is that companies are building API first and API only technologies. Uh, and with that API meaning that they don't even have a user interface or just a platform like a Twilio. It's amazing how Twilio runs, you know, Uber, and they also run United Planners. So we use a lot of these tools that are out there that are just API-only tools uh, that we can use to power our platform, and uh, that is continuing to expand and accelerating rate, the amount of, uh, of things that you can buy uh, and um, in fact, the recent purchase, um, who's a data aggregator, Billy, that just um, sold, got bought by a major, um, it's a- Quovo. Yeah, yes, and they were bought by who? Plaid? Plaid. By Plaid. I used, yeah, I started using Plaid um, on a couple projects about four or five years ago, and I knew they were, and they were coming out of Silicon Valley, and they were awesome. And we built on top of their API a long time ago on a couple projects we were testing, uh, and it was crazy to see how all of a sudden it comes out of there and it comes over the top of a traditional wealth management platform. So uh, that's, I think, going to continue to be a trend. And then, of course, now we're seeing the purchases that are starting to happen in our industry and the consolidation. And that's now the new risk our industry faces is what's now happening, which is um, probably the purchase. The, the, what do you want to talk about that, Billy? I mean, the, the issues as far as what we're starting to see as far as the buy-ups. And the consolidation. Yeah, in terms of our partnerships yep. and how, you know, I think that kind of stems back to a question you had uh, on uh, Craig, um, you know, kind of some best practices and, and risks is, you know, the challenge that we face in our industry today with these consolidations. Um, you know, a partner, a partner that we begin with in day one, you know, we, we try and vet very carefully from a, a culture um, ownership and, and direction philosophy that they have in our business but you know in in day 10 down the road you know year year two year three year four you know they may they may get put on the market and bought by you know a larger shop and it that could you know impact our uh, relationship with them as it relates to integrations and our you know, direction from where we began in our relationship to where it is in their new norm in their new world by being owned by somebody else. So, you know, that's, that's a, that's a risk that we all have to manage. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully it, it doesn't kind of take us two steps back when we put a lot of time and resource into certain integrations in the way that our advisors do business. And then it just kind of changes on us overnight because of a merger acquisition. That, that and that is a uh, something you have to watch out for, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm sorry for the background noise. There's a 
there's a, uh, a morning, uh, 6.30 here in the morning, they're uh, out there blowing the, the weeds around. But um, yes, merger, and so to its core, we, we try to pitch, when we selected vendors, we looked at culture first, and that's one of the reasons we chose Orion. So from a culture first perspective, uh, we really wanted to find firms that fit with what we were trying to do in that iterative development, that they were willing to co-invest with us and were willing to innovate with us. Uh, that's why when they can get too big or get purchased, or, then all of a sudden that culture changes, uh, we find that that's where there's risk um, to the smaller vendors, the mid-sized firms, is you're really, you're really relying on somebody else to provide your infrastructure and that infrastructure is really dependent on a partnership. And sometimes that partnership changes drastically once they're, uh, once they're purchased. And we actually have seen that um, happen in recent years where just all of a sudden the culture changes, people we're working with are gone and it's a whole new pricing structure. And it's like, we have that, that's the newest risk we're starting to see in the market. And that's how things are changing is the, that, that part of the market today. Sorry to interrupt the show, but we just need to take a quick break to talk about our awesome sponsor. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. The nominations window for their 13th annual awards gala is now open. The winning advisors will have a chance to receive up to $50,000 for their charity. It's a great way to highlight the good that exists within the financial services industry. If you know of a financial advisor who is actively contributing to a great charity, go to www.investinothers.org slash nominate by April 10th to nominate them. So what would you say would be the biggest challenges you overcame with building this platform? Well, I would say the biggest challenge was uh, it was at the, in the early days we made the right decision architecturally, which is decision number one. Number two, we built a minimum viable products and that was a really great decision also. But as you know, over time, it becomes, uh, it becomes you have to start to decide where you're gonna to continue to invest and where you're not. Uh, that was a big challenge. You know, which, which well, Billy, I, you, you make the same, uh, you can do, in the old, you can do anything, you can't do everything, right? Sure. Right, and so we had to start deciding where we're going to invest and not invest, and those are very difficult decisions. So one of the things we got to a point, we said, let's go ahead and build something we call the critical initiative process. So uh, about three years ago, we started to um, engage internally and in saying, okay, we've got to make some really important decisions going forward now. We've got a lot of infrastructure. We've got a lot of uh, built-in supply chain, but complexities emerged. Um, you know, stabilities emerged as a challenge. And now you've got reinvesting in that inf infrastructure because it's been many years. So let's start building into our DNA how we're going to how we're going to how we're going to make decisions. Let's build a process for making decisions that we can all agree upon. So we started something called the critical initiative process, which then was tied into the business plan, and we would meet monthly as a leadership team and really talk about you know where is the investment this month, where is the investment next month, where is the investment the next quarter and how are we tracking against what's going on in the market? And so having a process to do that, and really the process was about saying no. The hardest thing is how you build a process to say no, not how you build a process to say yes. Billy, you wanna to speak to that? Oh, I, I was yeah. just nodding my head over here, Craig, saying yes, we have a problem saying no. <laughs> yeah, right. So naturally, we want to do everything. Well, we were so good at it. We and, were so good at building. Our biggest problem was we were saying yes to everything. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, that becomes its own problem. So then you have to decide mm -hmm. how you're going to actually grow healthy once you get to a certain size. And we've now become, I think they define us as the, the smallest large broker dealer in the nation. And now we're, uh, we're really, um, our capacity, our size, really required a new way of um, being innovative by learning to say no, uh, which was taking the innovation out of the hands of the innovators and putting it into the hands of the business decision makers and tying it to the finances of the firm. Uh, and that became a critical next step to how to, to how to tie those two things together and still be innovative. And that's the process of saying no, which is one of the hardest processes of the company to do. Yeah. You know, I, I'll just make one other comment to add to that is, you know, I think if we take a step back, look at this kind of in a, a lay, layman's terms, 
the the approach was just as we preach to our advisors, you know, um, outsource, do what you do best and outsource the rest. That's right. 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 That's, that's a quote that one of my colleagues uses, give him credit. I, I can't take credit for that, but it, but it actually makes a lot of sense. Do what you do best and outsource the rest. And so we tell our advisors to do that with their practice so that they could be efficient, scalable, um, more productive, more profitable, and so we actually practice that too. Uh, and that's where we, in the spirit of this very conversation is how we redesigned our system, how we did it in a fashion to partner better with our service providers so that we are actually outsourcing, you know, some of those heavy lifts. And we're not trying to build a system that says, build it and they will come. The advisors will, you know, conform to how our system has been designed so that they do it this way. No, we've done it in a way that's flexible, an advisor-centric, client-centric, and it does have that spirit of outsourcing, you know, just like Aaron, we covered, you know. Um, if, if they use Redtail, we're not going to build a CRM. We're not in the market of building a CRM, but we'll build our system to interact well with a CRM or a financial planning system or a portfolio management system or any of our REA custodians and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I think that's kind of a good, I guess, kind of way to summarize the discussion is United Planners as being the biggest yet smallest broker dealer RIA in the industry is because we've done it in a way that's very, I would say, intelligent and in the smart use of our time and resources to deepen our relationships with our service providers right. so that we are outsourcing. And, and I mean, that's a good example of like our open architecture. I mean, if, if 90% of our business is done away from Pershing LLC, well then our staff here in the home office to open accounts, service accounts, trade accounts did not grow exponentially because we're leveraging the service teams as well as their technology at TD Ameritrade, which is our largest RAA custodian, bigger, twice, almost twice as big as our Pershing LLC clearing firm relationship. So we've done this in a very intelligent way to maximize our production by minimal, minimal, having a minimal amount of resources here at our home office. So I just want to kind of add that in there as kind of some color and context for the big picture of everything that we're talking about. Yeah, that was very helpful. Thank you. The, so I want to be cognizant of our time here and make sure I get to all, we have so many questions to go through. I told you guys you wouldn't run out of things to talk about. <laughs> um, so the, one of the things I like to ask um, almost everybody is, uh, you know, we learn a lot more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. And you guys have both had a lot of successes in your careers. Um, but what's a mistake? If you can pick out one of your mistakes that you learned the most from, can you tell me a little bit about that mistake and, and what, how, how you led up to it and what, what you learned from that? Yeah, so um, I, I could talk about a mistake. Um, I got many of them. Uh, and, and one of the things we do about mistakes here is we do uh, do postmortems. That's how we do learn from those mistakes. So today, whenever there is a mistake, we will engage in a postmortem process uh, and then try to then come up with action items to make sure it does not get repeated. Uh, but originally, um, you know, we were being very innovative and we were wanting to outsource and we wanted to outsource our data aggregation. We really wanted to be very innovative around how we were doing that and have more control over what that experience looked like at the time. Um, at the time, uh, our current aggregator uh, had gotten purchased. There were some culture challenges. Uh, we really weren't happy with it, so we found a very small firm that was very innovative. Uh, and you know, it was um, the reality is is that some things are too important and too 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 important to do the way we, we were doing things at the time through this kind of organic iterative process. And so it really was a project that required a little more of a um, RFP and a, a process to it, a sizing, um, thought about what we really wanted to accomplish. We kind of engaged the project in a kind of a skunk works way. And then we're kind of, we're growing it. And there was, what ended up happening was once it got to the point at which we needed it to be activated or turned enterprise, it started collapsing on itself because the firm we had done that with wasn't prepared, 
uh, didn't have the finances to really support what we were doing. So the while the technology was there, the the rest of the resources the company needed, that other company needed to be able to activate on the vision wasn't there. And um, that was a real lesson uh, at the time, and that was many, many years ago, in you know, really, really trying to rethink the way that we engage and how we make decisions where the critical initiative process comes from now is like, well, you know, that was, it was a, a, a win, but a huge loss because there's a mass amount of investment, time, energy, uh, political capital that ultimately ended up just uh, falling apart. Uh, the one thing I would say about that was it was interesting to see that technology did continue to go on and ended up at another firm and they've been very successful with it. Um, but uh, we weren't, we weren't the right fit for it at the time. And then I think we should have done a better job of, of really engaging a process to make that decision before we had uh, gotten so far in the project. And so that was a major, major burn of time, energy, and capital, and um, it was a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll add that, you know, so that it was an example of our data, aggreg data aggregation, you know, project, but we've done the same similar scenario with e-signatures. Um, as well as an oversight tool for, you know, trade review and account review. And it's frustrating, you know. Um, so, yeah, we have some successes, but, yeah, we also have had some mistakes and missteps. And, yeah, the, the time, the time is what kills me oh, the yeah. most. That's I mean, right. Yes, there's dollars involved, but, you know, when you spend, and we're committed to these things. I mean, yeah. we're talking about a lot of people dedicating each of these projects we were committed to for at least a year, if not almost 18 months, and you can't get that back. Yeah, the second mistake I'd say along those lines is uh, having too many projects going on within the firm, especially in my department at the time, we were so innovative and we had such a skunk works going on that a lot of things were happening and getting far along before the business had been engaged. And then all of a sudden it became a uh, a demand from the advisors for for certain things that we had started to share. So another mistake I can be, you know, we could talk about, for example, was um, we had done something, it was not a mistake, but it's an example of a, a potential mistake we saved ourselves from was, um, so I actually made uh, Evernote regulatory compliant. Um, it's a really innovative project we did um, in partnership with, um, we had built something with AWS, uh, we have uh, something called OSS, Object Storage Solutions, that we built on top of it. Uh, it's a really cool technology. We did it because we knew that type of technology we needed. So that's what powers United Planners today. It's another one of our platforms. But we're like, well, what if, what if we were to start archiving stuff in the cloud? What if we allow advisors to go out into Google or anywhere else and, um, and, and, and be able to use non-wealth management tools for wealth management? And we knew the industry is moving that way. And so we're like, how do we allow them to do that, but yet stay regulatory compliant? And so we're like one of the most powerful tools out there that most people don't, some people use, but not for wealth management typically is Evernote. So like, well, Evernote allows advisors to share notes and do all kinds of amazing things. So we actually engaged a project and we're able to make Evernote regulatory compliant and be archived in our system and for advisors to use it. And we, we then, made that announcement to the field and said, hey, this is a technology. But it became pretty apparent we hadn't really thought through the support of it. of it, And so how we were going to support it and how we were going to do it. And so that's, again, another thing where the innovation and the product gets ahead of the business plan, the support model, the revenue model, and all those things that are required to run a business. And so uh, that's where we started to really start realizing that we could do anything. We could do a lot of really cool things and we could spend a whole podcast on all the innovations we built here that have never gone to market. But not bringing them to market is the best thing we've been doing recently, which is to say, you know what, it's a great idea, but you know, this, this is just gonna be too much for not enough value. Yeah, it's, it's controlling the throttle. We, yes. I refer to it as throttle control. You know, uh, you know, we could go crazy with whiskey throttle and all these technologies, but, you know, it's the digestion, the adoption, the understanding, the, the value, the support, but, yeah.
Those are good. So we've learned from mistakes and we've had issues and we, we've moved on and grown as, as technologists. So are there some best practices you can share for all the, all the work you guys have done in evaluating, selecting, integrating, all the technology you guys put together? What are some of the best practices if someone were to come to you and say, hey, we're starting a new broker deal or, or we have a, another, you know, we, we're in the same position, you know, what, what's some things you could share that would help them avoid some of the problems you guys ran into? Hmm. Well, um, you know, it's a new world. It's, it's, so everything obviously is a, um, you know, today's world compared to when I started many years ago is dramatically changed. And so the challenges that everybody would be facing would be dramatically different. But the one thing I can tell you that has made, will always make a difference is and has made all the difference for us has been culture. United Planners culture has a very specific culture. And when we do, and this is a controversial thing for some CIOs when I talk about it, but for United Planners, this is what's been most effective for us. We work with vendors and we partner with vendors based on culture uh, because technologies change. Uh, you know, you can buy technology to this firm today and it's amazing technology, but if their culture isn't, and this is a, a compliance culture, a technology culture, the people and the, there's a lot of aspects of culture, but does it fit yours? Does it fit who you are? And if it doesn't, then don't chase the technology uh, because that's the number one mistake everybody runs into is they get enamored with the innovation. They get enamored with the technology. But if you're going to buy a technology, so let me give a practical example. Our culture is fiercely not for sale. Why would I pick a partner that is 100% venture owned, right? Because they're definitely not fiercely not for sale. So they may have the most innovative technology in the world, but unless I really am prepared for them to be sold and what that means to my business, I have to understand the risk of that. And so that culture matters. Uh, and so we work with partners that are have been traditionally fiercely not for sale or privately owned. Um, it's, it is part of the decision-making process that allowed us to have stability and consistency to grow and make mistakes together because that's the one thing that will happen is there will be mistakes. There will be times in which, you know, they made a mistake or we made a mistake or, or the contracts got to be up for renegotiation. And unless you're aligned in your interest, um, your, your future negotiations get more difficult, your dependency on them gets higher and you find yourself with a really bad, partner, uh, it's really hard to unwind those. So I, you know, it's not a typical answer you're going to hear from a CIO, but it's the typical answer I give and it served us well. And, and I can give you examples of those in our industry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the best example, the best example for us, I would say first is, um, was probably most important was Orion. Um, when we approached Orion many years ago, Billy and I did this together we really saw, you know, a technology that was very innovative in the industry, but wasn't really ready for us in the way we were thinking about building our firm. And so it was really a discussion and meeting with um, the team over there that we realized that we could build something together, that they would be there for the long run. And they were the type of uh, environment that could, we could work with. And, and it was a great choice because when we made a mistake, in a data aggregator and we asked them to help us out with some things and they were willing to do that. And, you know, they took some hits on that and, uh, and there were some hits that we took and we worked together working through those things because we were both aligned in our interest and in where we wanted to go. And it was really never about the technology. It was about a partnership to solve a problem. And we both had tool sets and capabilities and we came together to do that. Um, another one obviously has been for us for many years has been Red Tail. Um, I think their culture of open API and, and um, innovation and pricing has always been something that you know has been uh, a great partnership for years. And, and so that's another one. Um, Bill, you, you've had a lot in the, especially at third party managers and, and other words that have innovations. And yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, the, the comment I'll quickly add, I know we're kind of coming up on time here, but um, 
I, I think to Aaron's point and to your question, uh, pick your partners wisely, um, the right culture, but I think part of that culture is the commitment to the advisor community. That's right. And that's what we saw with Orion. I mean, we get, I, I give huge kudos and props to Orion. Great company, great culture, great management team, great support folks there. But the commitment to the advisor community and, and doing what's best for the industry and the advisor as a whole, not just what we can do for our own self. That's right. So, you know, I think that that's important to see in the fabric of the people that you're dealing with in the relationships that you're developing. Um, so, you know, my comment or uh, to add on to your question, you know, best practices, you know, I, I'd say be collaborative, be methodical, stay true to your review processes, whatever they may be, socialize it, socialize it accordingly, meaning internally with your management teams, meaning your business teams, your oversight teams, your technology teams, and also your advisor team, um, your advisory council. Uh, so make sure we're all in sync with you know, yes, this is a need. Yes, this is the best way to solve for it. And uh, the vendor vetting, that's another component of our, our recommended best practice, which kind of ties back to this whole culture and commitment to the advisor community. And um, I think the last part I'll mention is take your time. Do not chase the technology, as Aaron mentioned. Do not get too distracted and enamored with the shiny new toy syndrome. So take your time and go through your process and, and stay committed to that process because that's the reason why you have a process so you you minimize those mistakes right. that's the biggest thing i think craig that's changed in the industry today is because of the finit and fintech uh blow blow up or the fintech growth is we are we are inundated with shiny new toys today it is really hard in today's market to find and differentiate products there's so much overlap and so much uh confusion in the market uh, a lot of promises uh, a lot of uh, venture, so it's a lot harder today to go through a selection process. Um, it requires a lot more uh, how you're going to vet the vendors. So today, the last thing I'd suggest is best practice: outsource it. Uh, go find industry thought leaders that are out there uh, that are in that space of vetting vendors that know what's going on, who's reliable, who's not. There's many different people that are in that space that are consultants. Uh, today, I think a consultant is a mandatory for anybody new in the industry in particular. Um, but even people that are looking to digitally transform, transform or people that are looking for uh, a, new, uh, a new model, uh, go find one of the experts because there are a lot of people that spend every day looking at fintech, looking at the industry, looking at how to build your practice, and reach out to them and vet those individuals, hire one, and have them help you lead you through the process. Uh, it is going to be almost impossible to do it yourself, especially if you're an advisor. Uh, it's just, it's gotten too confusing, even too, for myself, Craig. I go to these conferences now, and I get overwhelmed. I mean, you know, the Veo Village, Schwab, I mean, I go look at the number of vendors that are in the market now. I'm just, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm, you know, sure. I'm a CIO. Yeah, I mean, part, part of that reality is our time in, our time in the day where our advisors are going to these conferences and we take a lot of phone calls where the advisors are calling us saying, Hey, Aaron, I was at this conference. Did you hear about this? Yeah. It solves all my problems. right? And it is nonstop. And you know, we have to go through the time and effort to go, okay, who's this company? And then we have to research it a little bit just to have the conversation. And, and that's a time, that's a time, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a time, it, it takes time. And I do want to apologize for any of the vendors that are listening to this call where they know that we've chosen them and we love them for their culture and we didn't mention them on this call, but I didn't want to turn into an advertisement. <laughs> the, <laughs> the list is long. The list is long. List all your vendors right now. I'll just, I'll just uh, let you give, I'll give you five minutes to list all your vendors. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, I think uh, from, a, from a vendor perspective, perspective our core vendors today are, and Billy helped me out with the ones I'm missing, but I'm going to go with, so we, we are very highly integrated with Riskalyze. Um, they, we use their compliance cloud technology. We've been working with them now from, for many years. We're the first um, on a compliance cloud platform. They're a great culture, great partner, and we love working with Aaron Klein. Of course, Orion and Eric Clark and his team, Redtail, uh, another core infrastructure. Many years ago, we were, uh, 
very strongly partnered with Finance Logics. Of course, um, that was a great partner back in the day. Um, and then, of course, you know, he's now moved on and doing a lot of new innovations in the industry, and we're looking at what he's doing there. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy and the third-party money management uh, partners, we've had a lot of um, great partners there. You want to list some of those? Of course, you can't. Hey, but before you trade. On, can I just yeah. jump in? So you mentioned InvestNet Finance Logics. What uh, you want to give me a quick one-minute feedback on the InvestNet Money Guy Pro deal? Uh, I, you know, I would say is um, wow. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a. Um, I would say that's that's an example of. Um, you know, there's. I. It just depends on you know where where advisors do their business what they, how they think that their products should be um, and the products they use should be, um, you know, financed and built. That's a great partnership for those two firms. Um, it'll be, that decision is good for some money guy users and probably going to be um, maybe, you know, some might not, you know, that are more in the enterprise might not um, benefit from it. But I would say it's sure a sign of the amount of money and change that's coming to this industry and um, I think you're going to see even more of those type of things happening with uh, Silicon Valley startups continuing to come into wealth management and maybe do purchases, some um, unexpected players. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of disruption uh, coming up. And this is a, I see that as a good, but also see it as significant disruption. Um, I, don't, I don't know where I stand on that. I'm going to wait and see on that one, to be honest with you. And, um, but Money Guide is an amazing company. They've been a good partner of ours for many years. Uh, the team over there has always been, uh, for you know, from day one, one of the best cultures in fintech. And I really hope that they can maintain that innovation and, and culture while at um, Investnet. Well, I really appreciate that that comment. Thanks for that. I know that was a last minute uh, addition to our, our conversation. And this has been really, really informative for me. I, and we could keep going on. Uh, I know we, we should probably schedule another time to talk. Uh, you, you really provided a lot of value, a lot of information, a lot of insight. I just want to thank you both for, for being on the podcast. You bet. Maybe next time we'll, we'll go back to that AWS uh, comment I had about earlier because I know a lot of people ask about cloud. And, and uh, we, were, we were in the cloud a long time ago. We've been out there for a long time. Um, and we've done a lot with it for our innovation. And so that's, uh, and then where I think cloud is going next, um, we're, we're actually looking to start moving off of AWS into a new secure cloud. So uh, that, you know, a more PCI compliant cloud. So there's um, a lot that's going to be happening there in the digital transformation spaces that are starting to emerge that, uh, you know, we're starting to have to consider ourselves. Yeah, we can definitely do another 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 uh, interview and talk more about the cloud. I I, I would love that; it'd be great. But thanks yeah. very much, guys. You bet. Yeah, thank you. I really really appreciate spending the time with you, Craig. And it's always a pleasure. And yeah, if you want to pick some more topics and spend some more time, just uh, let us know. Hey everyone, it's Craig again. Just a few quick items before we go. If you like this episode, please give it a five-star review on iTunes. I would very much appreciate it. And remember to check out the show notes for links to everything we talked about on this episode. For more information on wealth management technology, you can read my Wealth Management Today blog at wmtoday.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again next week.